Well, working through this book of Ephesians, hopefully you've been blessed by it as much as I have. We're in chapter 5 this morning. You can start turning there in your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own one, feel free to take that uh, with you. I was thinking about this section of Scripture. We're in chapter 5, verses 15 through uh, 21 this morning, just uh, six verses there. And I was just thinking about it. When I was growing up, my dad primarily was a nursing home administrator. He oversaw different homes, uh, facilities in the Chicago area. And one of the things when I was in high school is my grandparents moved into one of the uh, Baptist facilities that my dad was overseeing. And I remember going to that, that uh, retirement home and to visit them and how anxious the different people that lived there were to sit down and share stories, story after story after story, a lot, a lot of stories. And one of the things that I learned at a pretty young age was how much wealth and wisdom there came from spending time with senior saints. You, you spend time with people and you start to see, like, wow, they've, they've gleaned a lot from experience. They, they've picked up a lot over the years that we can learn from and gravitate towards. As I was thinking about that this, this week as I was studying this text, I was thinking, you know what, this is really Paul in his senior years, going back and reflecting, and it's got to be based on life experience, what he's uh, seen and heard. Now he's in his most likely late 60s, which might not sound that, that old now, but in the time period, uh, average lifespan was between 30 and 35, so pretty short life expectancy during that uh, season of, of time. So he's in his later years, just a few years before he'd ultimately be martyred. Now he's sharing with this church that he loves and cares about, the church he planted, the church he started. He's sharing some things from his heart that he believes would be life lessons that they could gleam and be impacted for. So this morning, my hope for us is to pull up a chair in the retirement home of the Apostle Paul, listen to the stories that he has, and I think there's a lot for us to learn from all of his experiences. Let me pray as we dive in. God, thank you this morning for this chance to be in your house, and even as that song said, to, to celebrate you, and it's better than anywhere else we could have been this morning. We ask that you teach us through your word, God. We thank you that you've entrusted us with your word. May that never get dull to us, the fact that you wrote a book with us in mind. Ask that you'd speak to us and meet us exactly where we're at, that it wouldn't be for the person down the row. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 5, verse 15, and you might notice in your notes that I gave some of these subsections some weird titles this morning. Hopefully they'll make sense as we work through it. Uh, basically uh, a little bit of variety I need uh, even for my own self-studying. So this one, this first one's called By the Couch. And uh, hopefully that'll make sense as I explain. Verse 15 of chapter 5 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. See those first words there, look carefully then how you walk. This is the fifth exhortation in the book of Ephesians already to talking about how we walk, how we live, how we navigate life. He's saying to make sure that we're looking carefully, not to approach our days flippantly or without a plan, but to be careful in the things that we say, the things that we do, the direction we take, obviously the way that we manage time. There's an intentionality pointed to or a cautiousness that should be part of the way we walk. 
don't know if anybody here has spent some time driving in the snow. I know we're living in a place where that doesn't happen much. In fact, I wanted to ask, is there anybody here that's never driven in the snow? Anyone here that's never in the first hour? There's a few. There we go. Somebody confessing. One in the back. There we go. So some of us have, some of us haven't. But one thing that you do know is driving in the snow, there's an extra level of cautiousness. I remember in college, uh, the, the next level up from snow is during an ice storm. I remember we had an ice storm where it left about four inches thick. Anybody ever been in an ice storm? It's crazy pants. Uh, about four inches thick of, of ice on everything. And I had something that I had to drive and go do. And so I'm driving down the road and I come to this area that I knew it was a downhill section. And literally going down this downhill section, I was looking off to the right off to the left, and there's literally cars tipped on the side both directions, and it's too late to start hitting the brakes because what does that do in snow? That doesn't help. So I just was in for the ride, you know, I was just kind of like, uh, my car was doing like the surf mode, you know, like just surfing down this hill, and I perfectly navigated this hill, praise the Lord, uh, but, but didn't crash because why? Because I was driving, trying to be careful in the way that I went. Because recognize, what does it say there? That because the days are evil on both sides of the road, man, things can go really poorly. There's potential for crash every direction we look. So because of that, we have to carefully navigate the way in which we go. The way in which we walk, if you will. Because if I'm not intentional, my life will naturally slide towards frivolous things or worse, destructive things because of my sin nature. So he's charging them to carefully walk. And when you're being cautious in your walk, he says not to walk as the unwise. You define unwise. Unwise is another word for being a fool in Scripture. And what marks a fool in Scripture? It's interesting the defining thing for a fool is found in Psalms 14.1. tells us, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Denial of God is what defines the fool. On the opposite side of the spectrum, opposite side of the spectrum is wisdom. It's centered in recognizing and obeying God. Psalms 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. He's anxious to share it with his children. This is a good news for us. Or one ask away from having the wisdom that he so bountifully wants to share. We're told that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously in James 1. What does he say is part of walking wisely? He says, making the best use of the time. That should just be part of our inner dialogue on a regular basis is asking ourselves, well, is this, is this the best use of my time? Is this, a, even as you think back of your last week, could you say as you look at the landscape of the things you did or accomplished, was that the best use of your time? We want to maximize the limited time that we have here on earth. We want to make the very most out of it for God's kingdom and for his glory. I, uh, I'm in the process, well, Adrian and I are in the process of uh, the, a moving transition. We're actually moving into a home. We're hoping for July the 3rd. Excited about that. Our first house in California. So grateful for that opportunity. And one of the things with that is you need some furnishings, I've been told, for a house. And so, uh, so we're actually shopping for furniture. And being the, the cheapskate that I am, 
And Craigslist is really attractive. I'm just saying, like the some of the prices on there, I, I'm not really down. I mostly just want to get things like things that are wood on Craigslist, things that are material. You're like, I don't know about anybody else wrestle through this too. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to buy a used couch. But then again, my kids have this little section in the house that's like a going to have a, a kind of video game section, a little lofty thing at the top of the stairs. And so I was like, you know, I don't want to pay full price for a couch there. They can go with a stinky used one. So, um, so I started looking on Craigslist trying to find a, a deal. I didn't want to spend a bunch of money. So I find this particular ad. Here's the ad itself. It's actually on this uh, Facebook uh, Kaneo deal thing. So Crate and Barrel sectional couch purchased in 2015 for over $3,000. Now this baby has hardly ever been sit in. I mainly use it for decoration. I'm moving as soon as possible. Gotta go. Blah, blah, blah. 500 bucks I talked this guy down to. Show up. This is exciting times in the Kegels. I borrow a truck uh, from a good friend, my friend Bobby Porter, who's very kind with his truck to me. And and so show up at the, show up at this guy's, it's a, it's an apartment complex in Pasadena, and sure it was hardly used because it was an elderly man living there and uh, he couldn't sit in it because he was in a wheelchair, but I, I come to realize as, as soon as I stepped into this apartment, and this place stinks, this place really smells bad, and if the place smells really bad, what's the couch going to smell like? So I'm there, and I'm kind of planning my, uh, my exit strategy, if you will, thinking it through, well, how am I going to tell him this? As I'm there, he's saying, he'd seen on my Facebook profile that I was a pastor. He's like, you wouldn't believe this. He's like, I saw that you're a pastor. I'd prayed just last night that God would bring me some kind of a sign that God would do. I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> so, so I'm there, and I, I'm planning to tell him, you know, I'm not, I don't want to insult you. Uh, this, isn't the, uh, this isn't the couch for my kids. And, uh, and so... I'm there, this inner turmoil, and he starts going into this, this, uh, this whole thing, and he's, he's telling about his family, and this was his dad's couch that had just died, which is scary in and of itself, and he's going through, he's going through all of these things, that, and my heart is, is tugged, because I'm, like, I'm like, I'm the guy that gets the deal, you know? I, I'm that guy uh, that likes to come back with a story of the deal that I got, and there I was like, but this isn't a deal, this thing stinks, man, this thing stinks, and so, but as clear as you could possibly hear, I kept hearing God saying, buy the couch. <laughs> buy the couch. I don't care if it's a deal. This is a crossroads where you're either more concerned about the deal or ministering to this person. I ba- bail out on the deal. I don't, I get to, uh, the conversation's done. So guess what I did? I bought the stinky couch. <laughs> I stay, uh, uh, the, we've had it cleaned already this week. Guess what? It still stinks. And, and so, so here, my $500 illustration uh, is, is this, but here's what came of it. I sat there with that guy. He's talking for probably, I don't know how long, 40 minutes, shared the gospel with him. He's talking about he's got, he's got goosebumps on his arms. I don't know what that came from, but, uh, but and, and maybe the smell. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Got to pray with this man. We've had a couple uh, follow-up conversations. None of that would have happened if I didn't by the couch. Here's the crossroads of the reason I bring that up. Because when we're seizing the moment, we're, we're taking advantage of the opportunity. We can get so busy in the deal, the business proceeding, the activity, my plan for the day, and miss that God has laid out opportunities left and right for us to bless, to minister. That's why I say, man, walk carefully. 
Walk carefully. Seize the moments. Take it. A lot of times you get one shot at it. You get one opportunity, one pass at this by the couch. By the couch. That's illustration number one. Second one, verse 17. Therefore, because of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See there, you remember we already defined what the foolish person is. The foolish person says that there is no God. He's saying, don't be that guy. But instead, but instead seek to understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, once you've come to the place in your life that you acknowledge that there is a God, the natural progression is for you then to ask the question, if there is a God, what is his will? What does he want from me? How does my life, how should my life align with his plan? If there is a God, I'll have to give an account to. There's a tough questions that follow here. It points to that. What is his will? Being familiar with that. I've noticed, though, that when people, when you bring up the topic of God's will, it's kind of like this, this shrouded mystery as if like, ooh, you're trying to figure out God's will. Good luck with that. You know, like, like this impossibility. But the truth is, God's will was never intended to be something unfindable or unsearchable. It was intended to be something that was crystal clear for all of us, if you will. If you will, to catch that? Uh, crystal clear. And here's the, the idea. Let me try to simply explain it. Basically, you have God's will, his general will, or his specific will. General will are truths that are all throughout Scripture that are specific for everybody that calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, we've seen his general will splashed all over the pages. The idea of copying Christ, a life set apart, a commitment to unity, using our gifts, sharing the good news with the lost, a life of purity. All of those things would be general, generally God's will. That, if you're wondering what his will is, there you go. It, it, it's all over. I was uh, noticing some years back, my family did this trip. Actually, in high school, I was about 17 years old. My dad had saved up some vacation time and actually scheduled a month-long family vacation where we were going to hop in the minivan and head across the United States, up the northern states, down California, and go back. This is back to Chicago. And we were going to experience all the joys of the United States. It was actually a, a great experience. I, I did say at one point in the trip, I was like, Dad, I just feel like I'm just another feature of this minivan. But, uh, but really, at, at, in, the, in this experience, one of the things that for a strange reason that stuck in my mind is in the state of South, uh, what is it, South Dakota, you have a place called Wall Drug. Has anyone ever heard of this place? It's a stop point. It's one of a few people, if you've traveled, have experienced this. This place has advertising like none other. Like you're like 300 miles, here's, here's a picture, like 300 miles out, uh, 200 actually there. Uh, uh, pastors tend to exaggerate. Uh, about th- so about 300 miles out, you start seeing signs uh, for this wall drug. And I mean, like every couple miles, there's a sign like, what, what is this place? It's waiting for you. Bring your camera, gemstones, roaring T-Rexes, shooting gallery. You're like, I must make it to wall drug. You know, like I must be there. Like this is going to be amazing. And you, all these, it's like this build up, this build up. You would have to be a moron to miss wall drug. In fact, their percentage of people that pass by without stopping, I bet you it's like zero. Like everybody's got to see this wall drug because you've been seeing the signs clearly presented the whole way. Guess what happens when you get there? 
It's lame sauce. Like it was so boring. You see the bottom picture. What is this rabbit with antlers that you sit on? I don't get it. Like you, the, these, all these things, it, it was like just a bad souvenir spot. So they spent all their uh, money in marketing, not in product development. But, um, but here you get the picture that, you know what? The signs were every direction you looked. That was a good thing. That's what God's laid out for us. The Bible is the wall drug of God's will. Like this, this is the idea that, work with me here. Uh, this, this idea that his, his will is splashed all over the pages. You'd have to be blind to miss it. So a lot of times we're like, well, well what about his specific will? Well, I, don't, I don't know what he specifically wants from me. He specifically wants you to follow his general will. And when there's something specific, guess what? He'll let you know. He'll tell you, buy the couch. He'll tell you the, the, the things that he wants you to specifically do. He's not going to leave you guessing. It's not like God's like, I don't know how to get Steve's attention. I don't know how to communicate to him. No, he knows how to speak to his kids. You won't be left wondering when he's trying to get your attention. So here's the idea is focus on the billboards. As we develop then patterns of obedience, more instructions will be given. When we start getting good with the billboards, when we start doing well with those, then he's like, ah, I think they're ready for a little bit more. I think they're ready to be stretched a little bit more. Let's start with the billboards and go from there. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, at first when I read this, I'm like, that's kind of a Confusing, confusing, uh, confusing section. Drunk with wine. How does that relate to the topic of God's will and His plan? And you're like, but if you think about it, in that day and time, drinking was a huge part of idol worship. And so these are new believers that are coming out of a, a culture where it was widely accepted to fully indulge in drinking. So there he, he's calling them out drinking. Out of, out of drinking. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that they were being known for getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. You're like, whoa, that was, that was an issue. That, that's why we do Welch's grape juice here at ABF. But here's the, the idea, and it's pretty clear charge, don't get drunk. That's something that I think most believers can agree on. That's a kind of splashed on the billboards across Scripture. But we're left a little bit to discern, and this was what I'd suggest of what we do with moderate drinking. It seems to be a, a wisdom issue that's left to personal conviction. Would we agree on that? Like left on personal conviction? I would even take a, a pause for a second now to just cause you to maybe think about a few things even with that as far as partaking just recreationally in drinking. If it, does, if it is a wisdom issue, it might be something that's permissible. But the question we're left also to ask is, is it beneficial? So you guys can maybe talk about this. Maybe this will be, maybe be your lunchtime conversation as to whether it's beneficial uh, or not. Some things to, to think about. I would suggest you could make a strong case for not, why it's not wise. Practically speaking, how often do you hear of a wise person after drinking a few cold ones? Usually wisdom doesn't go up. Does it help me demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit? I don't know. Does it help me demonstrate, or I'm sorry, does it, is, is it a, a good stewardship or use of resources? And I was at a restaurant recently, saw the wine prices on there. I was like, my goodness. Do we know someone damaged by it 
If you know someone damaged by it, wouldn't you be real cautious to handle it yourself? Maybe a good conversation over lunch today. Proverbs 23, I wanted to read this, warns us about drinking. It says this, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed drink, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, listen to this, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of the mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. See, there's a lot of caution, a lot in Scripture about wisdom. It might be permitted, but is it wise? There's a a question for you to wrestle through. He proposes the alternative there. It's really a control issue there. He's saying, instead of getting drunk with wine, because that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the alternative as he's suggesting, and it's a control issue. He's saying, be filled with the Spirit. Now, upon first reading, you might be saying to yourself, wait a second, I I thought that as a believer in Christ, I'm already filled with the Spirit. Isn't that kind of part of the the package deal? And I would say, yes, that's a a theme running throughout upon salvation. Even Romans 8, 9 tells us anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you're in Christ, that's part of our experience. But here it tells us to be filled. The word is plerio, which means literally be be being kept filled. It's the idea or pointing towards ongoing submission to. Ongoing submission to. In other words, it's on. And you can even speak to this in your own personal experience. Isn't there, aren't there days in your life where you're just like, you know what, that day I felt like, man, I was really being led by God. I I was going a a really good direction. And then like a half an hour later, you say or do something really stupid. Anybody have those experiences? And you're just, why? Why is that? Because it's an ongoing thing. The same picture as a boat with a sail. It's not like it gets one burst of of air and it's done. It needs ongoing air to keep it moving forward. It's a continual, ongoing submission to the Holy Spirit. That's part of the careful, walking carefully idea. That there needs to be a moment-by-moment awareness, choices on, on the fly to submit to his leading and promptings. I titled this one, as you saw, as fill, fill the glove, and you're like, what? How does that relate? I was thinking of this illustration. I'm not sure who came up with it, actually, but I think it's a good one. See, this is a, a work glove here and uh, has a, a very specific purpose. It can get a lot accomplished, a lot done, but really, if you think about this work glove, it's only as good as who's filling it, the hand that goes into it, Right? You see, you would never be weird enough to say like, oh, oh, look at all the things that glove accomplished today. Like, no, that, that would be strange. You'd be like, no, no, it's all about what's filling that glove up. Who's, who's the one that's doing the work? And that's the same exact thing that's true with us in the thing that he's calling us to. He's like, man, you've got to be filled. The, the glove has to be filled with his hands, not your effort, not you trying to do more, accomplish more. That's the idea of being filled with the Spirit. Who's filling your glove? Who's doing the work in your life? That's the picture 
that he points to as this elderly man in a retirement home talking to his people he cares about, allowing the Spirit to fill our gloves, submitting to his reign. Verse 19, and this is the last section we'll do here this morning. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is really clearly painting the picture of what a spirit, what a a glove-filled life looks like, a spirit-led. Usually if you ask somebody what you'd associate with being a a spirit-led life, what what comes to, to mind? You'd usually say maybe somebody that's uh, reading their Bible a bunch, praying a bunch. That's somebody that's, that's spirit-led. It's interesting the things that Scripture points to as markers of being spirit-led. All of them point back to positions or the condition of the heart. What's the, the first thing that it points to? It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart. Addressing one another with songs and hymns. I don't know if that means that we're just supposed to walk up to each other and just start singing. It's so good. I don't think it's that so much, maybe. But I think it's a little bit more of the the position of our, our hearts and even potentially collective worship. Song was intended to be an overflow of what's going on inside of us. It's a, it's a true marker, and that's where it set, why it says it's being done to the Lord. It's very specific in its audience. It's a worshipful heart. It's not vocal cords making the sound. Like the one uh, author said that God is tone tolerant, not tone deaf, tone tolerant. Any amens for singers in the room? God is tone tolerant. It's more concerned about what's going on of the heart, but when the Spirit's actively reigning and controlling Music is definitely a piece of the pie. And it's not just any music. It's here clearly presented as it's, it's specific. It's psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's depth and there's richness to what's being said there. Is that a defining mark of you in your life? I'm not sure you'd have to answer that. I think it's interesting. I was interacting with Chad about this a bit this week, and he was pointing out that science even confirms the benefits of music. You want to hear a couple interesting facts about music? Patients undergoing surgery experience lower levels of a stress hormone called cortisol listening to music than by taking anti-anxiety drugs. So it has a calming effect. It has potential. Music is also associated, I don't even know what this is, immunoglobin A. Actually, I do know what it is. An antibody linked to immunity and higher counts of cells that fight bacteria. So even singing, you might even be more healthy. Imagine that. That's a part of God's plan. Studies also show during peak emotional moments in a song, the neurotransmitter dopamine, we've heard of that, is released. This is the same rewarding stimuli artificially targeted by drugs like cocaine and amphetamines. So listen to that, guys. It's even better than drugs. It's even better than drugs. Like, uh, no more cocaine needed. You know, like, just a little bit more worship time. But in all seriousness, it's not the the person that's done cocaine is like, no, that's not really how it works. But here's the truth is God's given us a manageable amount of dopamine. You see the other drugs and alcohol actually damage those 
those receptors and don't allow us to feel anymore. What this is saying, God, that God gets a bad rap of trying to take away things that are good in our life. And he's like, no, I'm giving you things that can help you manage this in a, in a healthy way. That's the picture that he, that he points to. The song is part of or an aspect of those who are fully surrendered to the Spirit's leading and reigning. Sebastian Bach, you've heard of, probably one of the greatest musicians of all time, is quoted as saying, the aim of all music is to the glory of God. The aim of all music is to the glory of God. So he points to song. He also, you see it there in the text, he also points to giving thanks. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks how often? Always and for everything. Anybody see any, any uh, kind of side thing there that we're allowed to grumble and complain about? I'm not really seeing a lot of options there. Somebody that's spirit-led is literally thankful for everything. Doesn't matter which direction their day is going, their experience, there's an attitude of gratitude that pervades all of it. I was this week at a store and there's, uh, there, you ever around the, the person that, like even they get a, uh, get a parking spot and they're like, oh, thank you, God, you're so kind to me. Like that kind of person, like that, that, that's just literally acknowledging God in every single moment. I was, uh, I was asking a guy, uh, I was just like, hey, how you doing? And uh, just saying hi, he's like, man, I'm very blessed. Thanks for asking. I was like, yes, that guy must know Jesus. That guy must know Jesus because somebody that doesn't, first off, doesn't use the word blessed. But, but here, blessed, the idea is that we're acknowledging him as the giver of good gifts and also recognizing even the bad stuff he's working out with my best interest in mind. All, every single thing, a mark of having the spirit reigning and ruling in my life is giving thanks. It's the expression of our soul's satisfaction in Christ. Notice we're to do it in the name of Jesus, meaning that he's the one way to have access to God. He also lastly calls them to submit, submitting to one another. Submitting to one another. This one's uh, probably uh, worthy of talking more about. That's a general call that he has for every single believer. And then after this, in the next couple of weeks, he goes into looking at submitting in these different relationships, idea of submitting in our marriage, submitting in our family, submitting in our, uh, in our employment. All those things are to come, but the general idea is letting go of my rights. My rights. My kids are self-designated fair police. Like, they're always trying to tell me, that's not fair, or this isn't fair. And you're like, yeah, you're right. Life's not fair. And, and, and it's okay that it's not. And it's okay to sometimes let go of my rights for others. This is good old Paul in his later years coming back with some words of wisdom for us. Buy the couch, focus on the billboards, fill the glove, sing more. It's good for you. Let me pray for us. I thank you for this word, and I think there's some benefit from the wisdom of a man that obviously walked closely with you. Somebody that didn't just talk about walking carefully, somebody that did walk carefully, that had purpose and direction with his day. Pray that we'd learn from this, that we'd be stretched in this. I thank you for your patience with us as we try to get all this figured out. I thank you that you even provide the antidote for this, saying, man, your one chance of this is when you're walking in the Spirit, when He's leading, when He's directing, when you're submitting yourself to Him. 
pray that we might learn even from the idea of buying the couch, being sensitive to your leadings and promptings when you do call us to elevate the person over the product, over the deal. God, I pray that you'd stretch us in each one of these areas. We praise you this morning in Jesus Christ's name. And that's our heart this morning. We do want to lean on every word of the Spirit. Amen. Let's do that this week. Two reminders as you're going. Once a month, we have an opportunity to give towards a second offering for those who are struggling in our community. If you want to do that as you're going out today. And secondly, if you know of anyone looking for a couch, just let me know. God bless you. <laughs> have a great Sunday. Come on.